Happy Easter, everybody. Yeah, great to see you all. Today is the high point of joy in the Christian calendar, and it's so fun to get to share with you all. It was really fun to sing and pray with you all. Teal and band, you guys rock. Thank you again. That was awesome. Yeah, high point of joy today in the, in the calendar for the church, which is awesome, but also can feel difficult. I wonder if it feels difficult to anybody sometimes, or maybe like in a past Easter if it's not today. Um, Dr. Brene Brown, the hugely popular shame and vulnerability researcher, uh, she says joy is one of the harder emotions to fully feel. I wonder if that feels true for anybody. Um, obviously, Emotions like shame, anger, sadness are hard to feel, but she says joy is also hard to feel because we re get really good at dress rehearsing tragedy, <laughs> right? The moment we have good news, we're sort of rehearsing, we're playing it out in our mind, when is the bad news gonna come? When is the rug gonna get pulled out? And I do this all the time, I tell myself it'll, you know, make the bad news hurt less, but it actually just means I never actually fully feel joy. I love Easter because it encourages us to sort of flip that, to dress rehearse joy, the opposite. We are letting ourselves believe in, that we're, we're, we're letting ourselves intentionally be seized by the possibility of joy, even as there are so many things to despair. And we don't do that in a way that like minimizes the things that cause despair, but because joy's, joy in Easter is about resurrection after death. Easter's joy does not, is not naive, it doesn't, it doesn't dissociate from the real difficult things in world, it's a sober, resilient joy, a resurrection joy that has known death, it's known pain, it's known disappointment, and so it, it's, got some, it's got some meat to it. So resurrection, I think, is just such a beautiful idea, and that is what I want to revel in this morning for a bit. Uh, but first, we have to unlearn the way that resurrection is often talked about in popular American religion, which is definitely not what first century Jews like Jesus were talking about when they debated whether there is a resurrection of the dead. And it is not what the early Jesus movement was talking about when it first proclaimed things like Jesus is risen. Over the course of the last 2,000 years, the Western world, including uh, American religion, has conflated resurrection with another ancient idea called ascension, which is like individuals being glorified. This is, this is a different idea in the first century. The first century Jews had, for example, Moses and Elijah, such heroes from the Hebrew Bible that they were said to have been taken up into heaven at the end of their lives. And the first century superpower, the Roman Empire, had Romulus, the fabled founder of Rome, who ascends up to heaven to be with the gods. We hear resurrection and we think those things. We think that kind of stuff. However, historians teach us that the Jewish idea in the Bible of the resurrection of the dead, that thing that comes up when we talk on Easter, when we talk about Jesus, it was not a matter of an individual being glorified. It was a matter that pertained to all people, a universal cosmic justice. It was about asking, in the end, is there a God who sees and cares about the death and the suffering of the world? That's what the resurrection of the dead was about. It, you know, like for us today, it's like, is there a God who sees 
the global matters of like militarism and war in Ukraine, the, the, the all-powerful marketplace that is pillaging our planet and our poor across the world? Is there a God who sees our local matters of gun violence in America, of the scapegoating of trans people and of threats to democratic representation that we saw even this week? Is there a God who sees all the way down to the personal matters that all people share of betrayal, of being abused, of, of, or even of just aging and sickness and struggle and stress? Is there a God who sees these things? Will every tear be wiped from every eye? Will every wrong ever be righted? Will we see our loved ones again when, after we've lost them? These are the questions that were evoked in the, people, uh, in the people's minds when we talked about the resurrection of the dead. No one in the first century spoke of the resurrection of an individual. They spoke of the resurrection of all the dead. It was a universal thing and not an individual thing. If, if people in the first century wanted to venerate or glorify an individual, they talked about ascension, like Moses and Elijah and Romulus. There was already a thing for that. And the Gospels do apply that to Jesus. But as Jesus' story gets told by the early Jesus tradition, the story is not repeated and repeated of the ascended Jesus it's repeated and repeated about the risen Jesus. Resurrection is important. It's interesting. If Jesus was so important, like why not focus on Jesus' individual glorification? Why not make that the point of the story? Jesus is so special and different that he ascended up into heaven. Especially when among the Jews and the Romans of the time, everyone already had examples of that. It wasn't a debated thing. On the other hand, the resurrection of the dead, this idea of promised cosmic justice at the end of all time, that was debated. The New Testament of the Bible suggests that some people in the Jewish world believed in this and other peoples didn't believe in it. It was a hot debate. And of course it was. How much do we struggle today in the midst of the griefs, the oppressions, the despairs of our world, how much do we struggle to believe if there is any justice, if there's any purpose, if there is any hope? Cynicism versus hope is what the resurrection of the dead is about. This is the New Testament version of the age-old struggle of, is everything just kind of like, should I just be cynical because nothing matters? Or is there a hope in the world? And that's why it was so powerful that the Jesus tradition began telling the story of Jesus the resurrected and not just Jesus the ascended. Jesus' story is not about the glorification of one individual. Jesus' story is an entry into the debate of cynicism versus hope of whether or not there is a universal cosmic justice that will affect all people, the whole world, all who have lived and died, especially those who have died unjustly. This is the powerful argument we see made in the Bible by St. Paul, Paul of dramatic Damascus Road conversion uh, uh, fame, if you're familiar with his story. Paul was a Jewish man, so he was a member of an oppressed group within the Roman Empire, but he was also a Roman citizen, so he carried a great deal more privilege than the Jewish masses. 
And he was a man who, for much of his life, took advantage of that privilege and status until he had a spiritual experience, feeling like the risen Jesus had spoken to him and the rest of his life becomes devoted to solidarity with the masses rather than choosing to align himself with the powerful. And Paul's contribution, as this happens to him and he begins to write and becomes one of the most important writers and, uh, and, 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 uh, and thinkers in the early Jesus tradition, Paul's contribution to this cynicism versus hope debate about whether there is a resurrection of the dead was to his contemporaries really strange because he was insistent that there is a universal resurrection. There is cosmic justice, all people. It's extremely important to him. But he harped on about one individual, Jesus. So are you talking about something universal or are you talking about something that's just about one individual? What is going on? Actually, this is one of the reasons why over the centuries, resurrection has come to be conflated with this idea of ascension because we miss that what Paul was saying was really strange for his time. Nobody else was making such an argument. If people talked about resurrection, they were talking about something that affected everybody. If they wanted to talk about an individual, they talked about ascension. But Paul starts saying something different. And I want to read a longer passage from his letter, 1 Corinthians, that's in the Bible, where Paul makes this point. Now, if you have spent much time in church settings, or even if you've like, read something like Harry Potter, you'll likely be familiar with uh, some of the lines that we're about to read here. This stuff, specifically a bunch of passages from 1 Corinthians 15, what we're about to read, is deeply ingrained in Western culture. And that familiarity can almost be unfortunate <laughs> because we, we ha when we have to unlearn things, it's hard not to like, you know, paste onto it meanings that we've heard all of our lives. So if this is familiar to you, I'm encouraging you to try to see it afresh. And to help us do that, I've, I've written sort of my own translation of this passage today to hopefully help us feel it and feel how inspiring Paul's belief in Jesus' resurrection was in his context and how we might experience inspiration from it in our context. My translation basically replaces every reference to the resurrection or being raised to life with references to justice or God's cosmic justice. And I put it in brackets so you can see where I'm making some changes. Let me put this on the screen for us. This is from 1 Corinthians 15. But if it is preached that Christ has justice after his unjust death, how can some of you say that there is no cosmic justice? If there is no cosmic justice, then not even Christ has justice. And if Christ has no justice, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he is the one who brought Christ's justice after his unjust death. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been brought justice, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, cosmic justice also comes through a man. As in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him, then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom of God to the Father uh, after he has destroyed all unjust dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet, and now the last enemy to, to be destroyed is death. 
Now, if there is no cosmic justice, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face death every day, yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? If there is no cosmic justice, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. But someone will ask, how is there justice after death? What, what kind of body will those brought justice after dying come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. So it will be with God's cosmic justice. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. We will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of the eye, at the, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and final cosmic justice will come. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the unjustly treated with justice. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, clothed with the imperishable, and the unjustly treated with justice, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? Now, we don't have the same starting points as Paul's original audience. So even with my translation changes there, there's a lot that probably seems to you irrelevant in, the, in that. That's totally fine if that feels like the case. To me personally, like the, the Adam versus Christ stuff and the earthly body versus the spiritual body, I'm like, ah, okay, Paul, cool, sounds good. I even skipped some of those parts. It doesn't really pack the same punch for me as it seemed to pack for the original audience. Again, that's totally fine. But you know what does pack a punch? That line... If there is no hope for justice, why not just eat and drink for tomorrow we die? You ever feel that way? I certainly do. I certainly do after school shootings. I certainly do after news from across the world. Do you know we, there's been a war going on for some religious zealot's idea of an ego trip for over a year? I sometimes feel like, why not just eat and drink for tomorrow we die? If there isn't a God working toward cosmic justice, if there's no purpose to our actions, maybe we are to be pitied, showing up at a church on Sunday trying to believe in joy, trying to dress rehearse joy. Maybe we're to be pitied. Do you ever feel that way? I'm a white, middle-class, straight guy. For me, cynicism is a bummer. But if your appearance or identity leads you to be marginalized in our society, cynicism isn't just a bummer. Cynicism can be utter despair. Why not just eat and drink for tomorrow we die? Hope is everything in this case. Paul gets the stakes of this. Gets the stakes of whether or not there is, in their words, a resurrection of the dead. Whether or not hope or cynicism wins. Another line that grabs me is that last one. Where, O oh death, 
is your sting. I've had moments in my life now where I have tasted the kind of comfort or consolation or hope that I can say that honestly. Death, where's your sting? Like, you tried your best, hopelessness. You tried your best, death, grief, suffering, but you've lost your sting over me. I've had moments in my life where I could honestly say those words. It was when my friend David and my wife Kezia loved and cared for me day after day during the worst season of self-doubt that I've ever experienced, when I felt like it would overwhelm me. The way that they cared for me day after day, in the wake of that, I was able to say, death, you've lost your sting. I'm okay. I'm going to get up tomorrow and actually be able to access joy and hope. In the wake of losing my mom to cancer when I was 15, which I've shared about several times, if you are a member of this church, you've no doubt heard me about this, heard, heard me talk about this. My first ever spiritual experience was precisely that line from Paul. Death, you've lost your sting. This does not have to crush me and end me. You know, in, in funerals and memorial services, honestly, this is like one of the, it, it's kind of weird to say, but one of the gifts of my life as somebody who's a pastor is that I'm in a lot of funerals and memorial services. And it can be uncomfortable to be with people in grief. Yes, absolutely. I'm not pretending it's not uncomfortable. But it is a sacred space to help people move through grief and see before your own eyes the process of death losing its sting happening. When you can see that happening for people as they smile, telling memories about their loved ones. Funerals are the place, actually, where I think we modern people are most similar to the first century Jews like Jesus and Paul. Uh, trying, they're, they're trying to hold to the hope of the resurrection of the dead, this universal justice for all. When we do our best to console each other with the promises of like, someday we will see again the loved ones we've lost, those who are sleeping, to use Paul's words, that's like, that's like the time in modern life where we're most similar to the first century Jews. That's such, a, that's such a beautiful thing to do for one another in those spaces. To go through hell, to go through grief or death or injustice or oppression and find that you are still alive, find that you are able to access joy or hope afterward. That is the meaning of life. I think Paul's inspiring and brilliant message is that in the battle of cynicism versus hope, what if hope wins? That's why he so vehemently believed that there is a resurrection of the dead. There is a cosmic justice for all. And what if that future final cosmic justice has already begun its process, is making its mark in the present, and we can have genuine spiritual experiences that we cannot explain of the risen Jesus, just like Paul had his own profound spiritual experience, and that is the first fruits of this process. On that note, there, there's one last line from what we read that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, and I want to read this. This is the last part. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not 
in vain. Paul's insistence that Jesus is the beginning of the resurrection of the dead, that there is a cosmic justice to things. As Dr. King said, the the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. Paul's insistence on that is a call to participate in making it a reality. The world doesn't need more individual glorifications of superheroes going off to be with the gods. We don't need an escapist vision. We don't need a waiting for heroes to save us vision. We need a vision of participation in God's kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven, a process of justice that God has begun in time, not just that we have to wait till the end of time for, but that's not something that we can experience passively. We have to give ourselves fully to it, as Paul says. I know no one in grief who has found deep comfort and consolation without the courageous work of actively continuing to put one foot in front of the other. I know no one in grief who hasn't had to courageously, actively put one foot in front of the other to find consolation, to find hope, I know no one who has found joy after hardship without intentional effort to dress rehearse joy. I know no one who has made an impact on justice in the world who didn't have to risk things, who didn't have to choose sacrifice and perseverance. Experiencing that resurrection, that cosmic justice is real and is something that we're not just telling nice stories about, but can actually be experienced Experiencing that is something that only happens when we actively choose to participate in it. With as much faith as we can muster that hope wins over cynicism. Some days we have more, some days we have less. As much as we can muster, can we believe that hope will win in the end? And that that process has begun. There's a gift in this, that like life is characterized neither by a divine get-out-of-jail-free card, like rending our choices without purpose, you know, because God is just operating, doing something totally different from us. No, we're, we're involved. We have to participate. But there also isn't in this a divine wiping of hands, like, you're on your own, humanity. I've laid out the finish line, so good luck being just. Aren't we doing great? You know, like, no, there is neither of those things. We instead have a divine human partnership. We are working together with the God of cosmic justice to bring about heaven on earth. Jesus told his disciples, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And every momentary glimpse of hope, anytime we can at least just a little bit feel like a a fleeting, I don't know, like how does it feel when you feel hope inside you, right? Anytime you momentarily experience it, that's an opportunity. If we can welcome and receive and nurture that, it is an opportunity for us to experience the risen Jesus, just as Paul did. We can call those things. What is it when you're experiencing hope? I think that's an experience of the resurrection of the dead, of the risen Jesus who has brought this, is the first fruits of that. And those experiences can console us. They can change us. They can inspire us to join in making a reality the hope that every tear is wiped from every eye that every wrong will someday be righted, every wound dressed, and every death will be followed with resurrection. I would love to pray for us. If you would, take a deep breath with me as we pray. (sighs) Feels good. 
feels good. Maybe, I feel, maybe that's what hope feels like, a deep breath in your lungs. It's good to dress rehearse joy today. It's good to dress rehearse joy with everybody. You may not feel attached to it right now, and that is 100% okay. I encourage you to dress rehearse it with us. But if you are, if there is any fleeting experience of that deep breath in your lungs, feeling like, maybe I can access joy <laughs> as I look around, even if I'm despairing about something in my life or despairing about something in the world. If you feel even a fleeting moment of that, I encourage you as we pray now to consider that Jesus meeting you in this moment. As we pray, feel free to close your eyes or keep your eyes open. I like to sometimes like focus on something in the distance that stops me from feeling distracted. Um, let me pray for us. <clears throat> God, you, as we are talking about today, are the God that, that Paul was so moved by, that there is justice. And you showed us this in the life and the teachings and in the death and the resurrection of Jesus, which we celebrate today. Perhaps hope in the end will win, but it is so hard to believe. So for those of us who have no access to joy right now, no access to hope, we are dress rehearsing it. It's pretend right now. God, I pray that in the, in the, in the most real way, not, the, not a cheap way, that you would help us fake it until we make it right now. <laughs> that it would start to feel real. That dress rehearsing joy would do something good for us. It wouldn't be dismissive of what we are despairing, but it would feel like resurrection after death. I pray that we'd even feel something moving inside of us right now. The despair that I felt a little bit ago is less powerful. Its sting has lessened. And then for those of us, God, who are here and we've got a little bit of joy, it may not be much, or maybe it is, but whatever amount it is, Stir up that pot, God. May we feel more, even right now. May it overflow our cup and pass to the person next to us. May it pass to our neighbors. May it pass even to our enemies. May it pass to the people who would just frustrate us. May joy overflow. And may we feel more hope as we look around, not hiding from the things that bring us despair, but truly believing we, we want to enter that debate, and we want to believe in hope, not cynicism. There is a resurrection. There is hope. There is cosmic justice to all things, and you are ushering that in, Jesus. We receive that all. No matter where it is we are coming from, where we are on that spectrum, we receive this all in Jesus' name. Amen.